not trying to do the right thing, Roger. You haven't had the practice. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Ribbon of Memes. I totally knew that it was episode 47 as well. Um, this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other tough guys as masterpieces. I am uh, Nasty Nick and I am joined as ever by Rotten Roger. Yeah, you know, should, should have been in the fridge for longer. <laughs> um, and we are in the year 1997, our first episode of 1997, and we are discussing Curtis Hansen's um, uh, widely thought of as a masterpiece uh, film noir. We're going back to noir with uh, L.A. Let's Confidential. Face it, it's where we live. <laughs> we never really went away. I was thinking that noir, it, it is our most visited genre, isn't it? We've done like one comedy with airplane, a few horror, um, well, some thrillers. Elements of, but yeah. But mainly noir. And this is, uh, a, a one of those, cause we have noir in all different colours now. This is one of those sun-drenched Californian type noirs that we've already experienced with Chinatown, which was itself a, I don't know, a retro noir is the way I'm starting to think of these, and it's not quite a neo-noir and not quite a classic noir, but it's a noir mm. that looks back to old noir rather than being neo-noir. Certainly, well, uh, so, I got a very strong impression of uh, Chinatown as an influence more than, yes. you know, the Maltese Falcon or the Big Sleep or the other classic noirs as influences. Well, definitely visually, you think um, character-wise as well. Well, yeah, I mean, well? our, our guy in China. Yeah, uh, that, there's that that quote. You know, the, the down these mean streets must go a man who is not himself mean, and we have tough guys, but they they all of them have their share of meanness about them. None of them is Chandler's hero in the With sense the, that no. he proposed him. So, so I I, I won't say it's. It's classic noir in that sense, and I yes. do I do think Chinatown shares that with it. Well, I don't, Jake, uh, it was Jake Gitter's one. It feels like a long time. Mm. Oh, perhaps I should do a plot summary, really. And there will be heavy spoilers. This is a film that has a uh, a a very surprising scene, widely regarded as one of the the best sort of twists and surprises um, in cinema. Um, a surprise that you preempted by some, by some minutes, um, uh, and um, uh, maybe you spoiled it for yourself. But um, there will be heavy spoilers in this. We'll talk about that scene later. But the the plot is basically it's it's very classic convoluted noir plot, um, but it mainly heavily focuses on three separate police officers, um, LA police officers. There is not a police officer in this film, which. W that is not in some way corrupt, mm. um, which I, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like that is probably trying to address something that the Hayes Code, which I know you hate me calling it that, um, didn't allow for during the classic noir. All police officers had to be good and shining examples of virtue during those times, and here they certainly aren't. And, of course, I don't think it's a direct influence, but it's certainly in terms of the zeitgeist, this is another film that was after the Rodney King riots. I th I think it would have been... So plenty of people were, were ready to think in terms of, oh crap, maybe the LAPD aren't the good guys. <laughs> exactly. While, yes, the, exactly. while the non-white members of the audience were saying, yeah, we told you that. Yes, <laughs> if you didn't know that already. But here is a film where it's, it's kind of taken as read that the police are corrupt. It's not... I suppose in noir, sometimes the police are in a grey area here... I mean, they're not really great. It depends how you look at it, but they're they're pretty much all corrupt. It's just, it's almost it's an interesting kind of moral stance because it's like they're all corrupt, but which ones are the ones that are corrupt for the right reasons? Um, yeah, which, and which there we may have some issues to. with. Yeah, we may have some issues with how the film talks about that. Um, but I, I mean, the plot is difficult to summarise, but it involves. Um, uh, prostitutes being given plastic surgery to look uh, like famous film stars of the day it involves the police chief um, turning out to be the villain all along and trying to muscle in on the recently deceased crime boss uh, and it um, involves a lot of interpersonal tension and violence um, and an awful lot of broken people and an awful lot of broken people um, 
yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Uh, so we've been sort of debating: is it noir? Is it neo noir? Is it? I suppose to me, I I call it retro noir. In the with um with Chinatown, Jake was kind of. Uh, he was supposed to have a sort of heart of gold, and he and he was a, a, a genuinely nice character. I don't think Jake would have quite got up to the stuff that mm. these characters do. He was perhaps he did have his own code in a way, and the closest one here to having a code is Ed Exley. Uh, but even he kind of breaks it by the end. It, um, it's a bit like um, uh, the Untouchables, where we have um, Elliot Ness's character. Um, who lives by a code but ultimately breaks it to see justice done and that's uh, what happens to Ed Exley by the end of the film the other characters don't really have codes at all I suppose we've got Bud um, whose code is um, you can be a violent bastard so long as it is uh, against people who are the wrong people because they've done bad things to women Um mm. Well, Jack- I, I think Jack- it's very interesting that the, the first we see I mean, it, it, his introduction uh yes he is going after an abusive husband and causing that abuse to stop yeah at least in the short term uh but he uh, yeah. he barely looks at the wife his his yeah. point is he is going after the husband not he is trying like, to save the wife yes and it's uh i again i feel like that is I suppose that's where it comes down to how much you kind of trust the filmmaker. Do we, are we aware that this is what we're supposed to think that, uh, Bud is, I mean, the impression I get is that Bud wants to be violent and it's almost like a relief when, right, this is one of those guys that I can be extremely violent to. And mm. so now I can, I've got permission because of my code here that I can go and beat the absolute shit out of this guy and feel good about it. Um, that's the kind of impression you get. From, I don't get the impression that the film feels that this is a good thing, but I do start to wonder later on. Um, uh, I don't know, but but I agree, that's absolutely true. He, he's, not, he's not quite in it to be the saviour, though he, he gets off on being the saviour, but it's almost that he's a sadistic bully as well, and he's just picked his targets a bit more carefully. Yeah, um, and of course, uh, we have, we have Jack, the, the movie star among cops, who, yeah, yeah I mean, yes, his position as, as a detective is a court, as the, the fundament of what he does, but mostly he uses that to get the TV show consultancy and so on. Yes, yeah, and, and you get the, um, strong impression, I can't remember if it's out right, but you get the strong impression that he is, um, you know, frothily corrupt, mildly corrupt. He's, he's on the the happily corrupt end of the spectrum. Um, Certainly, in terms of what we see him doing, yeah, this is set, setting up. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure the um, tabloid cameras are there yeah. when, when the big celebrity bust happens, and in yeah. return, we'll get told when we can do when we can make the big celebrity bust. And pretty early on, it's made clear that Ed is. Well, it also makes an interesting choice that, a choice, unlike, um, in The Untouchables with Elliot Ness, Ed Exley is the uncorruptible character, but it also makes it pretty clear this also makes him kind of a dickhead and not much fun to work with and certainly unlikable. Uh, I, I did feel that the film was trying to have it both ways there. I yes. mean, the, the primary, uh, impression I, I think we're meant to get is, you know, th- this guy will see the world burn in order to get justice done. Which is fine, you know, uh, that's a valid yes. characterization. And, and also yet. To further his career. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That doesn't yeah, go together. Yeah. Yes, I agree. He, that's... We, we're, we're being shown that he'll do that. You know, yes, I'll testify against those other cops. You don't need to bribe me. I mean, I'll take the bribe, but you don't need to. He, he, he volunteers yeah. that before they give him the thing. Yeah. And then he does this neat political judo and say, here's how you, how you can uh, sort out your, your image problem. I think you're right, actually, that those, that is the first hint, I think, that the film doesn't quite square with reality, as I understand it, that yeah, those two things really are mutually exclusive, which is one of the problems of reality, in a way. If it was as easy as being, I'm the incorruptible cop, um, and this will further my career fantastically, we'd have a lot less corrupt cops than we do in reality, I think. Um, he, uh, I, I don't know, I suppose it's played that he is almost superhumanly political to the point where he can get away with towing that weird tie trope. But I agree with you, I'm not sure 
I'm not sure that's within the realms of human ability. It's, it's, mm, I think one could portray a character like that, but this portrayal was not a convincing one to me of a character like that. It, right. I, yeah, I never felt enough. there was any tension between those two things. It was just whatever he needed to do in the moment. I should say, I have not read the book and, you know, maybe the book does it better. No, I, I mean, it, it's nicely, but well, uh, I guess we can talk about the four, but I agree. Uh, we've talked about Bard and we talked about, uh, we, we've talked about the three leads. Um, I, I agree with you. I, th- I think that's, uh, I don't know, the film, re- I, I get the impression the film really wants you to dislike him a bit as well. Um, uh, that in fact, there's a lot of things where I get the film is trying to tell me how to feel. I, I'm, yeah, I will so say certainly front, I, I don't think we're meant to be fully sympathetic with, every, with anybody here. No, I, I think that's it. And I like that in the film. And I, uh, I up front, uh, you know, I very much enjoyed this film. I mean, it's a two and a quarter hour. Is it that? Is it that long? It's quite a long film. Uh, we've had a few that length recently um, or more. Um, but... It doesn't, it didn't feel it to me. It rocketed along and I was, I was with it the whole way. Um, the ending, or maybe the last 30 minutes or so, I started to have problems with the film, which left me feeling a bit confused and uncomfortable. I think you've off air helped sort of solidify perhaps partly why I felt that way, but we'll talk about that. Mm. Um, uh, well, I mean, we, we, we start really with, Something not entirely detached from reality. I mean, well, two things. One, you know, after they took down Mickey Cohen, yes, there was a genuine mobster power vacuum in Los Angeles. I guess I didn't get a chance to look into how much history this was, but so Mickey Cohen was a genuine historical character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and the, uh, the bloody Christmas incident was an actual thing and went down not completely unlike what you see. Right. You know, a, okay. a bunch of cops. Having a Christmas party, uh, which was against department policy to have alcohol on the site, decided, hey, you know, our, 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 our buddy got beaten up by these guys. Let's let's go and uh, bash them around a bit. Right, yeah, and that got, there were pictures taken, were there? And it ended up in the not not entirely clear, but it's it was certainly okay. a very major scandal. Even, it was a th- okay. even <laughs> even the LAPD couldn't completely brush it under the carpet. Goodness me, and this is the LAPD in the 50s. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, I, I, I do like that moment. Uh, is, is it, uh, Bud, I think, has, or if, I, I've even lost track of which of them it was. They do look a bit similar in, in the first reel. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you just bled on my shirt and that's unforgivable. <laughs> uh, yes. I think, uh, I think that's Jack. It might have been um, Jack, actually. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, a, I mean, it's nice. It's very, um, Economic, I feel, with it. So very quickly, do we meet these three characters as well as a whole host of other characters? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand, you know, they're slightly blending together. This is an ensemble cast, or it's certainly a cast with three protagonists and a ton of other side characters. I feel like it very quickly establishes each one of them as who they are and what we're supposed to think about them. Mm. Um, and so the, uh, and gets through bloody Christmas quite quickly, so we're quite quickly into the night owl shootout, um, which forms kind of the bulk of the uh, the plot, really, or the key to the plot, and ends up getting kind of investigated twice, um, I suppose. Um, I, so I think the storytelling is, is economic um, mm, and very quick, yeah, and yeah. that's why I that's why I was sort of letting it take me along. I, I've seen this before, and I remember very much enjoying it the first time, um, and enjoying it. For the most part, this time, I, this time I'm more aware of noir conventions, um, and probably fell slightly into uh, expecting some things that were going to happen, and also knowing some things that were going to happen. Uh, well, but... there, there was one particular point. Uh, how, how spoilery are we being? Pretty, pretty darn spoilery. Right, well, major spoilers from this point on. Um, if you don't want to be spoiled. Uh... When Jack has his moment of realization that I cannot go on being the corrupt cop I am, I've got to stop this particular thing that I've helped set up from happening. Yes. And you can say we don't have the production code anymore as much as you like, but I knew at that point that he was not going to survive the film. 
Well, to, to the point where you uh, sent me a message saying he's going to die, isn't he? Um, now he's had his moment of Ripley. Now that that's tricky for me because what the the scene that I was talking about being the major surprise scene, I still think it's played very well, even though I knew it was coming. Is when we basically have the reveal that um, uh, the the uh, police chief uh, Smith, Smith, played by James Cromwell, yeah. Um, reveals himself to be the 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 big bad of the piece if you like and he does it by rather unexpectedly killing off one of the protagonists very quickly yeah, um, I, th- I think he's not a police chief he's a precinct captain or something of that sort i mean he's not the guy in la or anything like that but he's right, he's, he's, certainly, he's, 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 lo- he's locally very powerful mm-hmm. um uh, uh but that scene is it's played very well you know we have an extremely relaxed jack Vincent, I was not expecting it. You were. <laughs> so, did it surprise you when it happened? At that point, was it played well? Mm. I was not surprised that it happened, mm. but I was surprised by the way it happened. And in particular, I was very, as a great man once said, "When you're going to shoot, shoot. Don't talk." <laughs> yes, uh, and he yes, exactly, and he and he does. But the moment he realizes. Um, now Jack is on his own, and he's gonna. Uh, uh, he's got a chance. To oh, so so you haven't told anybody else the incriminating stuff, eh? Good, <laughs> now, good. One thing I've learned from Phil <laughs> is, if anyone ever asks you that question, whether you have or not, don't tell them. In fact, lie and tell them. Oh yeah, yeah, it's on a time release. Yeah, oh, yeah if, if, I've texted everyone I know with it. I mean, I trust you, obviously, but I, I got to see some other dodgy people later, and you know, so if I don't come back, <laughs> exactly, or wear a bulletproof vest if you're about to say that, and hope they don't aim for the face. Hey. Um, it's uh, to me that is a and it is. I think it is that scene which um, basically it's the scene that I remembered from the film, that and the shootout at the end. That scene is just so it's beautifully capped as well with the. I think it's really, I don't know, it makes you feel quite clever, or it made me feel quite clever, that we know we have this fictional character that Ed has talked about before, Mm -hmm. Jack. No one else knows about it. And so you know that when Jack says it to the chief, Jack knows that he's sealing the chief, uh, sorry, the captain's fate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... Yeah, that's very good. That's a beautiful piece of script making and it doesn't have to explain it anymore. You understand it. Jack understands it. The captain doesn't understand it and you know exactly what's going to happen with mm-hmm. it. And that's, I, that I remember feeling, oh, that's really good. I, I really enjoyed, um, uh, I've forgotten the name now. I, I've remembered it for years afterwards. Rollo Tomasi. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a beautiful piece of, uh, you're shocked, um, uh, or I was shocked, um, and then you have this, oh, he's still got his own, though why he would lean in and say, have you got a valediction for me? I, I, it's very... Uh, well, I, I, I think that's leaning into the um, matey Irish stereotype. Mm. Yes. And, and he, he is obviously, we, we've previously seen him playing up to that. He's sort of so. a... Um, he plays with being a fatherly figure and an Irish kind of Catholic kind of fatherly figure at that. And uh, yes, he's even he, he doesn't even break character when he's just murdered you, which is which is nice to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, but it does veer into. That's what I realised this time actually. That that scene, wonderful as I found it, shocking and exciting and it. It's very cinematic. It is real cinema stuff there, mm. um, and not really the realm of reality. In the same way that Silence of the Lambs goes full, uh, this is cinema now. You know, we've pretended that we're FBI and we, we know all about Syracuse, but now forget all that. Now we're in cinema rules. And <laughs> the film, I feel like LA Confidential pulls the same kind of bait and switch, um, on me. Hmm. I got a slightly different impression. I mean, okay. Well, let, let's say that, uh, for me, one of the big pivot points is the car pulling up to the Victory Motel shortly before the final shootout. Yes. And uh, the visual grammar of that, particularly the way it pulls into the road. Yeah. I, you know, we've all seen westerns and we're, yeah. and we're in a western now. Exactly. The film ends as a western. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree. And more. it seems to me, and I, I may be reading too much on this and I'm certainly inserting my own biases into this. So yeah, take it for what it's worth. Um, what I'm getting 
in in that resolution is that all the civilization and rules and stuff have been stripped away and it comes down to tough guys being tough uh and ultimately okay, yes. we we have ed uh shooting uh smith in the back because you know smith has just said okay great you know we can, we can all walk out of this we'll yeah. we'll all be heroes uh and and to Ed, that is just it, that is the thing too much. You know, he he might have been prepared to let him live, but he's, he's certainly not prepared to let him be a live hero. Though <laughs> yes, he'll exactly. end up as a dead one. Um, but it that that whole it comes down to tough guys, and you and you and you cut. You have to play by the, by the bad guys' rules, or, or you won't beat them. To me, is the same thinking that says, "Well, we're just going to torture these people we think are terrorists until they tell us something useful." Yeah. As opposed to the tradition I grew up in, which is you win by being better than them. So, yeah, I I am sensitised to that possibly more than is reasonable, and and I don't know if that's a deliberate thing. But thing is, given that it's, I looked back over it and felt that the whole relationship between the three of them, to some extent, was feeding into that because. They start off, they've got all these points of friction between the way they're prepared to work. Yeah. And those points of friction are gradually erased, largely by their manliness. <laughs> with, with the, with the uh, last one being, you slept with my girl. And so they're going to have a, a, a nice big fist fight and then it's all right. I, that is weird. I, again, that, for me, that scene is where, uh, it's a tricky one because I like the, I like the portrayals. I like the characters and I, um, I'm glad they don't kill each other, and then I'm kind of pleased that they buddy up. But it it does it. it uh, the first time I watched it, I just went with it. This time, I I suppose we maybe we come at it in different ways. But to me, I I absolutely agree that that tonal shift for the last scene and from then, uh, I to me it felt more abrupt. But I think we're both coming at it in slightly similar ways in that we end well, up it, it was different... once I was there that I, I, I started to think how the rest had funneled in yeah, yeah. If, if, if the ending had been different I might well not have got that same impression of it well, that I, so the, the film to me is, is kind of setting up these nuanced you know that it, it kind of undercuts the the original we have Ed who you know in theory is the hero but actually undercuts that by making him quite unlikable and very ambitious um, we have Bud not, not to is, mention a rapist yeah uh, well we should talk about the treatment of women in this film because it's it's not great and I know Noir doesn't have the best um, <laughs> uh, the best stance on this um, but uh, we'll come back to that in a sec but, uh, but similarly um, Bud who is you know in theory the the kind of thuggish um, brute, it turns out um, to have more of a moral code in a way than Ed um, and and Jack. This this kind of sleazy um, uh, showbiz cop again turns out to, they're all more nuanced characters. But it, I don't know the way. It, I think particularly you you hit at the fist fight where it's like you slept with my girl. I mean, it's it's, ne- really it's never stated, but that's clearly. The level well, I mean, it starts on. with him holding a picture of him. <laughs> right, um, but it, it's never really addressed other than, right, we've punched it out now, and now we're best buddies. Mm-hmm. To the point where, you know, the, the woman who Ed raped, I agree. I mean, it, he was not immediately using violence, but he was certainly using coercion. Yeah, and the fact that she goes along, presumably because she's being paid to but also because it's how she gets to live <laughs> yeah is not doesn't excuse it either um he's aware i mean he the point is he's aware that there's no consent really here uh or not not any meaningful consent well, for, for but, that matter uh, bud beats up lynn at one point as well exactly bud uh, breaks <laughs> his own code and beats up women i mean he, he backs away from it but he does um uh but you know by the end of it these three are best friends um and it just feels like there's a gear shift from here's some fairly again it goes back to my look we're in cinema territory now because there's this kind of a mm. realistic 
or semi-realistic or heightened realism. These are these are two-dimensional characters, not just one-dimensional. Which is, <laughs> you know, I like in a film. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. They are antagonists. There's a lot of tension between them. Uh, there it's gone. We've popped the tension. They fought, and now they're best friends. Now we're in. Now they're going to do a buddy buddy cop western ending, um, and then we're best friends. And it, uh, yeah, I I found that shift. You put it probably better than me, but I certainly felt weird at the end of the film and not really sure why I I found the ending uncomfortable. I, th- I think you explained it much better than me, but I certainly found the shift from noir to western is probably the best way I, I could put it, or noir to buddy action movie, weird at the end. That said, uh, it's a very atmospheric fight. Uh, I, I, I might argue for, for some, um, slightly suboptimal tactical choices, but you know, fair enough. <laughs> it, it's very atmospheric. It's, it's not as brutal as that hotel room fight at the end of Strange Days, which has become my gold standard. Oh, but, yeah. yeah <laughs> but it's, now, it's similarly, it's not glamorous. The fight where, um, uh, where, the, the fight where they confront each other or the final. I'm uh, talking fist, fight. fist fight in the yeah, hotel room. I, I agree. I, I think one of the yes, I agree. It's, it's a well, well, one of our our um, go tos is, is this a, is this fight exciting and interesting? It's, we know what the stakes are. They make use of the environment, um, and uh, it's and it's it, exciting, it, but it's not glamorous, and that that's a key thing yeah. for me. Yeah, you, you don't yes. say, "Oh, I, I wish I were that guy blowing away the enemy." And they, they're, I mean, they're not having fun with this. <laughs> There's a place for that kind of balletic opera of violence um, in like later films that will probably come onto it. Yeah, but generally I'm, ones I'm, made by Wong Kar Wai, but exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but my preference, uh, though I haven't seen any of the John Woo films, um, I must say, um, my preference is for this kind of gritty, down and dirty. Uh, well, particularly gritty. given the tone of the rest of the thing, if, if you yes, if you yeah. went all pretty and sanitised, I think it would be the wrong move. Uh, yes, I think that's fair enough. But you know, it's not long after that that we have a scene where these two now best buddies, um, prepare to break the rules to get the right thing and they've agreed on the right thing. They break into the DA's office and dangle him out of a window. Mm-hmm. And that, that nothing comes of that. They're fine. <laughs> I mean, they literally beat up the DA. And, and to me, then we're in Schwarzenegger action hero territory. Uh, except we haven't been there for the rest of the film, so I don't. Mm. Uh, and also, you know, in the final, Bud gets shot four times, uh, once at point blank range from a man who's done his fair share of murdering throughout the rest of the film. He's fine. The end. Of, I, you get the impression he can't talk very well because he doesn't say anything. But <laughs> I don't know. Then he's an action hero all of a sudden. It, it feels a bit like um, yeah. the ending of Unforgiven, mm. um, That's where he tried to be realistic the whole way, and then suddenly, here we go. As you say, individually, I, and I do feel this fight is much more interesting than the end of Unforgiven, which basically just stands in the middle of the room and shoots everyone. Well, it's, it's um, not quite as one-sided. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it's a more interesting fight. But I have my problems with that tonal shift and I, I was enjoying and I I enjoyed the whole thing I just felt weird at the end of it because of that and the, there's a thing um I, I think the right term is homosocial I mean basically all these all these men's friendships are with other men and yep. the women well there's, there's only really one female character of any significance in this yes and uh, one of them may well be in love with her but then they're, they're not friendly or they they might eventually become friendly, but that, that's I, not I a, that's not a thing we some, see. They have some tender scenes together. I mean, that's largely to show us Bud's backstory as to why he's um, so violent, I guess. But they do have some tender scenes together. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel they had anything to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's fair enough. <laughs> Other than oh, sure do like screwing. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just remembering uh, other, other films we've, we've done uh, uh, for this podcast, you know, things like The Thing or The Man Who Would Be King, which are basically lacking female characters. Yes. And that this really felt almost of a piece with that. I mean, she she turns up when she's needed, but she's not... Uh, yes, all right, she's on the poster uh, yes. with Kevin Spacey. Yes, yeah, so well, one of the few. Who, well, the, the, well, we know the reason for that uh, because uh, basically the, this was Russell Crowe's and Guy Pearce's 
essentially their introduction to American audiences. They'd, they'd be, done a fair bit of stuff in Australia. Uh, Russell yeah. Crowe, if people knew him at all, uh, they'd see him in, seen him, yeah, so, which, which is a basically Melbourne suburban Nazi. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. It's a very good film. It's terrifying. And um, if people had seen Guy Pearce, it was yeah. probably in The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yes, or Neighbours, which is where I'd encountered before, which is a very <laughs> strange, strange ship. Um, I, I think I'd seen Memento before this as well, but I think Memento came out after this. So, as I understand it, there was a lot of negotiation between director and producer and the money people. You know, you, you've got these two unknown leads. Uh, so we need a lot of star power, and that—that that is why you've got um, Kevin Spacey and Kim Basinger on the poster because they were—they were faces that people would recognise. Yes, I, again, Kim Basinger, I think, was probably because she's a woman over thirty; her star was fading at this point, um, and Kevin Spacey wasn't huge. Probably da- Danny DeVito is probably the biggest star in the film, but he's probably yeah. the best. I, I think he actually makes a great thing out of a tiny part here. I mean, it's a very simple part yes. that he's got, but he's but he's having fun with it. Yeah, again, it's not, I, I, you would argue it's not a challenging part. It's certainly not for someone of Danny DeVito's acting abilities as well. Um, but he is really good at it, and it slightly wrong foots you. You know, when when a film opens with the narration of a character, as it does with Danny DeVito's character, you sort of assume he's going to wrap around to the end of the film, and so. I don't know, the unwritten rule to me is that he's going to be saved from the events of the film, which is not true, he mm. gets killed during the film. I, I would say that in, in other roles of his I've seen, he tends to be either, um, I'm, I'm going to be a bad guy and you're going to see me as a bad guy and I'm going to be unfriendly right from the start, yes. or I'm going to be a, a cuddly uncle comic relief. Uh, yes, uh, yes. And, and here he's playing the cuddly uncle comic relief and he's a really horrible person which I think is, <laughs> yes, is an effective it becomes quite clear through the film just how terrible he is um, and most people are terrible in this film to yeah. Be fair. yeah I'd go along with that um, so directed by Curtis Hanson who, who's done a few other things since but I think at this point mostly he was known for The Hand That Rocks the Cradle uh, yes. 92 so Which I haven't seen. It's kind of a nanny, uh, 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 evil like nanny, evil nanny, evil. Uh, one of those women can't be trusted when the uterus is involved. Kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, and some uh, Wild River, I think, which I also haven't seen. Um, but uh, certainly, he hadn't produced anything of this quality. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I think it was a surprise to people that he made this film mm. um which i mean it's a very competent noir uh it's very cinematic uh, as well and and certainly carries me along it's only as we talk about it and as i was thinking about it afterwards that i start to have serious questions about the film well to me the the problems are basically with the narrative and the characterization more than with the rest of the filmmaking i mean i love that production design Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a fair bit on location, obviously, because there, there are bits of Los Angeles they haven't rebuilt, or at least hadn't then. Yeah. Um, I like 50s cars, not the way I like 30s cars, but I still like them. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, the costuming, the, the use of houses, it, it, it's just lovely. Uh, I did, or I, I did find the music a bit intrusive at times, particularly when we've got uh, something being played over important dialogue. Yeah, I I agree. It was it it did invade a bit. I had subtitles on, so it didn't. Mm. I usually have subtitles on if I can, um, and so it didn't bother me. But I can see that it would have done if I hadn't. But uh, as as a piece of filmmaking, I, I, I'm yeah, I'd say it works very well. I I do think there are script problems, but mm. yeah. Well, you were talking about it being uh, this uh, homosocial. F- I, I agree with you. I, I suppose my slight devil's advocate would be a lot of noir is like that. Yes. Now, I, I suppose. But, you could, but it's 1997, and we don't have to well, do the same old thing again. Well, that was yes. That was where I was going to. Yes, I agree with you. you, you just because you emulate a, a genre doesn't mean you have to emulate all that with it, and it feels like it did. I agree. And I, I um, think regular listeners will be aware that we are, we are both fans of the writing of H. P. Lovecraft, but yes, we could, we I, I think we would both say that what we'd like to do is take the good stuff and abandon the bad stuff. Yes, r- rather than yes. slavishly repeat the bad stuff. Yes, absolutely. Which has been tried to say. I, I, I don't know. Never quite as well as Lovecraft. That's the frustrating thing. Um, but 
Yes, here I, I completely agree. And similarly, you know, the treatment of women is in this film. Do we want to talk about Kim uh, Basinger's character? Oh, do we have much more to say about well, her? Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, she, it's a, it's a, she does well. Uh, I, I suppose the best, the best angle I could take on it is that she's subverting the femme fatale. In that, I suppose, in noir. The classic femme fatale in noir is kind of an evil schemer um, who always kind of uh, manages to outthink the man and ends up getting him in, in more trouble. I'm thinking principally of Double Indemnity, I must say. Mm. It's a great film. Um, but here she kind of undercuts that. I feel like we've seen the femme fatale undercut so often, though, that I don't, we don't, it's so rare we actually get a normal, a, a classic femme fatale that I'm not really sure what they are. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's perhaps unfortunate that she is in in effect pretty close to being the only character only female character in the thing I mean, there are one or two others but yep, certainly we're not going to see anything like a Bechdel pass here I don't think any female characters talk to each other No, uh, <laughs> the other female characters that I can think of, there's one there's a secretary, there's the mother of the murdered girl and there's the, the Mexican girl who's been tied up by the black guys Mm-hmm um, I mean, I suppose you could argue that what the film is showing here is that all these things that were traditional in noir, like femme fatales, like um, evil foreigners, is actually all a product of white guys' power plays. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. I find that a kind of weird racist point by itself because it robs women and minorities of any kind of agency of their own. Um, if they're mm. all, if they're all. Um, uh, uh, framed by white guys <laughs> to, to one way or another, I still uh, it still basically means the white guys are in power and controlling everything, which is is problematic in its own way. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I suppose it didn't stand out in the sense the film does a good to me because the film does a good job of emulating noir until it goes uh, western. Um, and and yeah, yeah, but you're right. This is 1997. Uh, and we should have. Uh, it could have done better. In those days. Ha- have you read any James Elroy? I have not. Uh, mm, I thought about it. Here. I'm not a huge crime reader. I mean, the, we were talking about this classic. That you don't actually read. I mean, I don't read a lot of crime fiction at all. But you, you tend to read more uh, murder mystery types than noir. You don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I have read a fair bit of uh, Chandler and Hammett. Right. But it's not really something I go back to. Uh, I, I, I like the noir feeling I get on film much more than I like the book version of it. Right, yeah. Part, partly because the book versions are much more rampant about their homophobia. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah, that we were either protected by the Hayes Code a little bit, um, or they were done later and, and hopefully a bit less homophobic. And this, I mean, this film does have, um, uh, a sympathetic Gay mm. character who gets murdered quite quickly <laughs> in, in the film. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the film. I don't know if the film is uh, misogynistic or homophobic or racist, uh, except in a fairly casual sense, which doesn't make it dramatically better. It's well, I would say it, it's not hating women so much as not really noticing that women are people. They're, yeah, they're, they're prizes. Yeah. They're victims. They're you know. And you could genuinely argue, well, that's how the characters felt. Um, and yes, that's fair enough, but that doesn't mean the film has to agree with them um, and not give women some agency. Yeah, I mean, we've got a small cast here and we've, we've got them all basically saying or acting the same way. Um, so... Yeah, yeah, for different reasons. Um, should we talk about the performances mm. a little bit? Mm. To so we have um, our three main characters. We have... Um, I mean, Kevin Spacey is now, of course, highly problematic character and I'm going to uh, not to excuse any of it but at this point um, and for a long time afterwards he was uh, widely regarded as a very good actor I, uh, um, well I don't suppose anyone's questioning that he's a good actor and I think he is very good here I mean compared to the other characters we've seen him as hmm. uh, which is principally I mean he, this was the time when Kevin Spacey suddenly started to crop up in a lot of places because he'd been um, the, the the serial killer in Seven um John Doe, I think he was called. Uh, I think that was the first time I'd seen him. Um, but here he's very... I don't know, he has to play a charismatic, sleazy film star type um, 
who is troubled with a conscience, uh, I think he does it very well. I, I feel like that all comes across. Yeah, I don't know whether at this point he already has the reputation for playing villains. He had done the usual suspects, I think, as well, and that that started to cement him as a bit of a villain player, but also a sort of nuanced villain player. So, so a... you see, uh, at least, uh, I, the thing I was getting at was just looking at the framing, but you, know, you, you see him show up and the stuff around him is saying, this is a bad guy. Yes. And, and I think that's effectively worked on as a, yeah, well, yes, but. Yes. Yeah, it, it gives him something. It's it's, it's well played. I also think that scene where he where he dies. I think it's a very effective. You sort of see the light going out in his eyes, and that was a hard. Apparently, he had some dots on the wall that he focused on to make it look like he was doing a thousand yard stare. Um, a very good actor. Uh, uh, well, a very good performance. I don't really want to dwell on Kevin Spacey. Otherwise, uh, other than I don't know, I, that in no way excuses what he's been accused of since. Um, and then we have our two Antipodean leads, Russell Crowe. Now, it, uh, it may just be that I've seen him in more other things, but I, I found him immediately recognisable here. Right. Uh, in, in a way that Guy Pearce wasn't, to me. Okay. Uh, by recognisable as a character or as an actor? Or... Uh, as, yeah, alright, this is, this is Russell Crowe here. Yeah. I suppose this is one of the roles he uh, he built on, along with Romper Stomper, which is a similarly very angry man. Um, I mean, not I mean, there's a lot of differences between the characters, but it's a similarly uh, yeah, man I, driven I, by rage. I think the first thing I saw him in was uh, Gladiator, and was it was Gladiator really two thousand? Yes, it was. Uh, well, he's also a man driven by rage, but uh... yeah, it's become his thing, really. That he he's uh, he has some control over it, and he has some intelligence, but he's a very angry man. And I guess Russell Crowe is, is doing that, but he does it. But I mean, that's exactly what he has to do for the role. Hmm. Um, as you say, that the character is is a little awkward because he breaks his own code, and well, I, we don't know if he has a code of not beating women, but we do see him doing it at least once in the film. Uh, whereas anyone else who does that in front of him is immediately a target for quite a vicious assault. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming he doesn't make a habit of it, but that's, that's perhaps a big assumption. Right, does I that mean he has to beat himself up now? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good performance. He's, he's certainly a believable character. Um, I just, I have issues again with making him then a suddenly hero, an unquestioned hero character by the end of the film. Mm. And similarly with Guy Pearce, who I knew mainly from Neighbours at this point. It's a, it's a, it is a good, I mean, that's a tough sell in a way to be ostensibly the hero, but actually quite unlikable, um, career focused uh, character. Mm. And still make him kind of a unquestioned hero by the end of the film. I, I have similar problems with that character really. It, it, they go some ways to make them unlikable. And then they just like, alright. You can forget that now. They've made up their buddies, and, and they're yeah. all heroes. Also, I can't help noticing that uh, by, by the end of it, you know, Jack is dead, Bud is gone, uh, Ed is the last remaining honest cop. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so that's going to work well for him. Yes, he's done. A... <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. You get the impression he, well, he will bend and break a few rules, and probably wouldn't be a surprise if he ends up where the captain is by in twenty years. <sighs> yeah. Which will be an interesting thing to see, but it's not the film we got. It's not the film we got, no. Um, we did, uh, I, I did like James Cromwell's performance, who I had previously encountered as the kindly farmer in Babe. Um, so to see him <laughs> as a murderous, uh, yet kindly, it's, he does a nice line in genial, uh, psychopath, I suppose. Um, I does have that slight problem that as soon as he's revealed as the villain, he kind of acts like one. Whereas he hadn't for the rest mm. of the film, which I mainly remember from the Rocketeer, that as soon as <laughs> Timothy <laughs> Dalton's character is revealed as a German spy, he goes straight into a German accent for the rest of the film. And I feel like that's uh, James Cromwell kind of does that here. His very next scene is um, him saying, "You've got my extracurricular activities, and I've got mine," in a very sinister way. Whereas he hadn't mm. done anything like that before before he shot Jack. Um, uh, oh, that's interesting. The, the year before this, uh, he he was uh, Zephyr Cochrane in Star Trek: First Contact. 
Oh yes, he was in there. I I don't know that I've actually seen the first contact. I'm not a huge. It's not. not I didn't find it terribly memorable. Okay, all right. I mean, um, it was a Star Trek film. <laughs> well, some of the, the Voyage Home is it? I we should do the Voyage Home once like that is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good film. Um, but most of the others. Are really I, I I can tell you because it worked for me. The best way to see number five which is as part of a marathon in a cinema where you've just seen numbers one to four with, with, <laughs> okay. with, with minimal toilet and food breaks in between. And, and by that point, you, you, your mind is, is pounded into submission and, <laughs> and you just don't notice the stuff, all the stuff that's wrong with it till afterwards. You found that more enjoyable that way. Wow. Okay. I'm well, at least I could enjoy it while I was watching it that way. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I always think five's not that bad, and then I watch it and think, oh yeah, no, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's followed by, uh, Undiscovered Country, which is very, very good, and has David Warner in, which is no bad thing. But yeah. we're not talking about those films, um, not today. uh, we're talking about James Cromwell, um, uh, who, yeah, it's good performance, uh, again, does what it, these are all solid performances. I don't know, uh, did you feel any were outstanding that really sucked you in or won you <sighs> over? The, the, you talked about you singled out Danny DeVito. Yeah, he he was the one him, who was yeah. dragging my eyes back to him whenever he turned up. Yeah, he is a nice sleazy character. It's it's not a subtle role, as we've said, but it's one no. he he makes his own. So I think yeah. the, the character that probably moved me most um, is, I'm afraid, Jack Vin, uh, uh, Kevin Spacey's character in that he he does a good job of being sleazy, and I feel has the most believable transition through to. Actually, damn it! I'm going to try and do something good. I mean, yes, it, it, it's one of those obvious film moments of revelation, which I, I complained about um, when we were talking about uh, Schindler's List. But yes, yes, in a story like this, in particular, I think it's forgivable. Well, it worked for me. I, I agree mm. with you. It is a bit obvious, um, and he, he surely he's been in that sort of situation before, so it's not quite clear why it troubles him now. But it, I, I did. Well, the, the feeling I was getting was this is just the one last thing. Yeah, this is yeah. I, and I you know, I've I've just met Ed, and Ed still believes in something. And you know, I'm pretty sure I remember when I believed in something, but I'm not sure quite when I stopped. Yeah, why did you become a yeah. cop? I don't remember. That is that again. I'm think I was thinking of that scene as you said, and it's really nicely played. That it's not it's not flippant. You see the real kind of. Ugh, I really don't remember. Um, kind of behind his <laughs> eyes and the, the yeah. sadness behind that. That I do, uh, yeah, I think that is, to me, that's probably the best performance in the film. Certainly of the three. They're all good. I mean, there's nothing wrong. None of them jar me particularly mm. or drag me out, mm. but I felt like his was the one that won me over. And sadly, now that he's the most problematic actor, but maybe we can wait until the others become problematic too. Um, <laughs> Except Tom Hanks, of course, who's, ne- who's never Hanks been too. accused by anybody of anything, as far as I can tell. Yeah, well, that's suspicious in itself. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in no way did I mean that. No, Tom genuinely does seem to be a lovely person. Um, right. So, uh, so the reaction to this, it was pretty much universally loved. Yes, that is. Um, that's interesting. I mean, this is uh, considered a masterpiece by pretty much everyone that saw it. I'm sorry, that's a hyperbole, but all the critics adored it, didn't they? As far as I can mm. tell, I couldn't find many negative because I was, I was, I was googling to see if anyone shared that kind of disquieting feeling that I had at the end of the film. The only person who seemed to kind of in any way feel a bit uncomfortable was was you when you sent me the messages afterwards, <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I, I didn't feel quite so. I just felt a bit confused why I was enjoying it, enjoying it, enjoying it, got to the end and thought, oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, everyone loved it, um, as far as we can tell. And it did really flipping well um, at the box office, too. It was like 120 million or something, after costing about 35 million from yeah. the top of my head, something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, and, uh, and 126 lifetime box office. Yeah, that's uh, that's worldwide, isn't it? But that's that's pretty good. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's not one of the huge successes, but it's still a pretty darn good. And it was showered with awards, wasn't it? I think. Did... Well, yes, but something else scooped up a lot of them. Oh well, we'll talk about that when we come to it. <laughs> but the acting award in this film, the acting Oscar, was it? Was it? Did it go to Kim Basinger? It did. I think. Um, 
which you know, I'm pleased to see. Uh, I'm pleased to see. I, I just, um, I, it's not the performance that stood out to me. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's an unusual one to pick out amongst a lot of other performances. That well, said, also, if you're pick best um, actress in this film, then you don't have much choice. Yeah, to well, as, as, it. as it is, she got supporting actress for it. Uh, well, that's fair enough. I mean, she's certainly not a protagonist. In but uh, none, none of the other actors actually even got nominated. Really? So it's not just a matter of that one film. Oh, that's interesting. Did did um, uh, well? Um, did it win any other? Uh, uh, yeah, it got the um, adapted screenplay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, nominated for best picture, best director. Uh, art direction, cinematography, film editing, dramatic score, Jerry Goldsmith, yes, of course, <laughs> and, and sound, uh, but got beaten but out only, in most of those okay. yeah, But only won a couple. Uh, but it got a lot of other awards later on, and, and genuinely was universally praised. It went on to sport, I mean, I, I, I guess we're into, a, did, was this influential? Um, I know it went on to sport, there was a, a, a computer game called um, L.A. Noir. Uh, I think it was L.A. Noir that was basically this as the computer game, um, uh, 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 which I didn't take too desperately, but it's it's all right. Uh, uh, there, there have been two separate failed TV series pilots based on it. Yes, uh, there've been a number of more. Um, it's Elmore Leonard, isn't it? The the writer James um, Elroy. James Elroy, Elmore Leonard's a different guy. I always get those two mixed up. There've been a number of other attempts of ad- adaptations because the book is the third in a quartet, mm. um, and I think they've tried to adapt some of the others with very little success, uh, or not the same success that this has. Well, part of the um, problem, of course, is is that you don't you don't because of the way film financing works, you don't get to make a quartet of films unless there's a lot of money already in there. So, yes. and the Black Dahlia has certainly been filmed. I, don't, I haven't seen it. My understanding is it's awful. Um, but I could, I could be wrong about that. Um, but I don't know quite why it's awful. I just know that by reputation. Uh, Blood on the Moon was adapted as Cop. Um, there have been a few others, but I think LA Confidential is the big one. Yes. And I don't know if it did it spawn a whole load more noir. It's, I mean, for us, it doesn't. I, for, it do for, for me, noir is a sort of ongoing thing and then yeah. it, it waxes and wanes, but. You know, well, the, I think, as I said at the beginning, I think this is very much uh, influenced by Chinatown, which is at yes. this point over twenty years earlier. Yeah, I agree with you, and so it's hard to say more, suppose, more than uh, noir as an overall thing. Yeah, I again, I agree, and certainly, I mean, Chinatown felt uh, interesting. In there was it was one of the first noirs we'd seen that wasn't physically dark. I mean, mm. to look at. Um, but that's been done already. And in fact, it's almost a bit like zombies at this point in that noir feels like it's been done in every genre. It's been done in the future. It's been, we've had historical noir and we've had, and so. The, 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 the thing anything? I look for is in, in all of this sort of thing is I don't mind the genre, but I wanted to have something interesting to say rather than yes. we're going to turn the handle on the noir matic Well, that is my question then. Did it do something new with, with noir for you? Um, that that made you think, oh, okay, that's interesting. I think so. I mean, as as we're saying, it, it doesn't fit neatly into either noir or neo noir. Though I think you could probably call it neo noir as a sort of catch-all. Yeah, um, yeah. It it doesn't hew strictly to the noir principles, but it that's definitely where its heart is. Yeah, you, you're not hard placed to even if you don't quite know what noir is. And again, we talked about this before. The the the, the the uh, the it's a little bit woolly around it, but it, it's very clear that this is a noir film or meant to be. Mm. I mean, there's a I think we've said this before. Strict genre conventions are very useful for publishers, but not really for anybody else. It, <laughs> exactly. it, it has a lot of the landmarks of noir. We may be standing outside the strict border, but we can see a lot of it from here. Yes, yeah, that's a very good. One. Um, it's. I, I, I mean, I suppose my take, does it do anything new and interesting? I, I, it does something new in the sense that it, it makes noir, by the end of this, much more cinematic and uh, feeling like mm. almost like a conventional film. Uh, I don't know if I slightly, if I find that a little uncomfortable, however. Um, 
but it, it certainly made uh, it was certainly very popular and and I, I, I certainly very for me a very enjoyable film to watch. It's mm. just a little problematic afterwards. Is it a masterpiece uh, in your opinion, Roger? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I need to think quite carefully about what my threshold is for this. Um, yeah. the, there are some things that that spoil it for me, so I don't come out of it thinking, "Yeah," and you know, punching yeah. the air. Yeah. But there are, other, but the majority of it works very well indeed. So yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. I I think I'm in a maybe. You know, one of my touchstones is does this move me emotionally and you know the the scene where jack gets shot i um it shocked me and stuff and, mm. and i mm. i cared about the characters at the end and i wanted them to win i'm just not sure i should have done <laughs> so i don't i i think i'm a maybe maybe yeah. and there's a lot about it that says masterpiece it's certainly a, a very well made and enjoyable film to watch uh i'm not sure it uh, would I watch it again? Yes, I probably would. So I, I feel like I, sh- I feel like I should say it is, but there's a part of me that wants to step back and say, mm, no, it's, it's just got a few too many problems for me to and call it that. I, I think neither of us is really the sort of person who says this thing is great and I will be uncritically praising about it. Yes, and uh, let's yes. face it, if we were, this would be a much shorter podcast. So. <laughs> it would, it would. Um, the, the other thing I think is possibly worth considering uh, as influences, I wonder whether Mulholland Drive would have looked the same if this hadn't uh, been a big success. Yeah, I wonder if it made LA a sort of fashionable place to make films. It, though, well, know, set films be, as opposed to... Yes, as a, not, yes, not Hollywood, but LA. Um, yes, maybe. Don't know. Um, I, I think I'm a, a maybe... Uh, and again, it's influences. Uh, I, I feel like maybe less so than you would think, given how popular it was. But perhaps I'm wrong mm. there. I don't feel like we're beset with noir at the minute. Um, it's time will come again, I'm sure. <laughs> so shall, shall we move on to 1997 in film? Yes, let's do it. I think we've uh, we've said what we had to say. Uh, so uh, the elephant in the room here, of course, is Titanic. Uh-huh. Which became the first film in history to exceed one billion at the box office. One billion, goodness me. Um, held the record for highest grossing movie of all time for 12 years until Avatar. Until James Cameron did it again with another not great James Cameron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, I've seen people be quite kind about Titanic and say, you know, it's really not as bad as its reputation has it, but <laughs> it's a very simple story told in a pretty yeah. darn simple way, and I, I just don't, I, I can't feel any enthusiasm for it. I, did, I mean, I, it did move me. I enjoyed it when I watched it, but much like Avatar, yeah, it's very cliched. It's not groundbreaking in any way other than visual effects, I suppose. Uh, uh, and, and as we've said before, this is the guy who did Terminator. This is the guy who did Aliens. And maybe we shouldn't be like that, but I have to say, we know James Cameron can do more complex, interesting, better action or better emotion stories than this. So I can't help but feel if he's not even, if he's not trying to, he's decided that audiences are a bit stupid and he has to pitch lower. <laughs> and I slightly yeah. resent that. I mean, he might be right, but I, I kind of resent it. I feel like he doesn't have to make it so simplistic, but he seems to have done that for his, his latest film. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what I, I just feels like the film thinks I'm a bit dumber than I like to think I am. <laughs> um, so, uh, in in the awards, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, it's not going to be a surprise this is the top of the box office, but it also got 11 Oscars. Bloody hell. Uh, it was n- interesting. Um, Kate Wislet got a nomination for leading actress, but she didn't win, and there weren't any uh, actor nominations for it. I mean, they are both fine acts. Kate Winslet, Leo, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, both excellent actors, uh, who've been much better in lots of other things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but that took best picture and directing and so on. 
So yeah, um, so the uh, LA Confidential got two. Goodwill Hunting got two. As good as it gets, got two. Do you know? I've just realised Titanic must be the first Bill Paxton film that we've been mean about. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) even Bill Paxton can't save it for us. He's not in the vast majority of it. Right, yes, okay. And how, how are we with the top ten then? Uh, so, uh, number ten, uh, The Full Monty. The, um. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unemployed miners turned strippers. I don't know if that was the first of those. There seemed, there then seemed to, that was very influential. There then seemed to be a lot of British kind of niche hobby goes big and we have a lot of fun northern character drama along the way kind of. Along with Brastoff and Kinky Boots and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, felt like, I think that was probably the first of them. Mm. It was good though. Uh, number nine, The Fifth Element, uh, which has some obviously dodgy, dodginesses now, but I think it's, there's still some good stuff there. I say, it's certainly, uh, interesting and unique. Um, yeah. I, I particularly like the way that our hero and the principal villain never actually meet. <laughs> yes, much as in the Wrath of Khan. Mm. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, so, number eight, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, romantic comedy, Julia Roberts, going back to her, uh, what she's known for. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, fair enough. I prefer to be Mary Riley, which is the last nice thing I'll ever say about Mary Riley. Uh, though also, I mean, she doesn't get the guy, so. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, number seven, Liar Liar, Jim Carrey. Uh, yeah, Jim Carrey. Uh, well, I, I think he's a very good, very intelligent um, actor. I, you know, maybe we'll talk about the Truman Show sometime, which is coming up soon. But I think his stick. Everyone was getting a bit tired of his stick by liar, liar. I think uh, maybe. Yeah, but maybe on I'm the other hand, lots of people paid to see it. So. Well, yeah, fair enough. Uh, number six, as good as it gets, uh, romantic comedy, Jack Nicholson. Do you know, I am more interested in these films that, I mean, they're not all my cup of tea, but certainly I'm not actively opposed to them like I have been for the last few <laughs> top ten. Ah, uh, well, fortunately, the next one is uh, Air Force One. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't, oh, I can't remember if I've seen it. That was another one of those. I, I like the hunt for Red October of that kind of, that style of American military trench and drama thing, but I got mm. very bored of it. The, this is the one with President Harrison Ford. Yes, yeah. So, uh, you would think that would win me over, but no, it didn't. Uh, at number four, Tomorrow Never Dies, and neither does the James Bond franchise. Oh, that was an awful. I think that may be the worst Bond film released in my lifetime. But there we go. Uh, that the one with the invisible car. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no, that that was more recent. That was the world is not enough. I think. Perhaps. Yeah, that that this was the one with with the um, megalomaniac. Um, Communications uh, tycoon. That would never happen. Yeah. Uh, number three, Men in Black. Not a big fan, yeah. but it's got things to say. I I enjoyed it well enough. Yes. Um, and number two, uh, the second, uh, the Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah, very much into the diminishing returns at that point. I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan of Crichton. I'm not really a fan of Spielberg. Though I'm probably more one than I used to be now. Uh, yes. So. Yeah, it's, it's never really grabbed me. We should maybe... Uh, we've done enough Spielberg, but maybe we should do Jurassic Park sometime. It is very good. Yeah, it but, might, uh, might well be worth a look. And, of course, at number one, Titanic, making uh, three times as much as Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Bloody hell. <laughs> it's interesting. We touched on this last time, but you reminded me the narrative about Titanic was what a disaster it was and how mm. it was going to go wrong. R- right up to the release. Um, I yeah. mean, there, there were filming delays. There, there were the, the, I mean, we've, we've seen it before with other films. There were lo- lots yeah. of, lots of, uh, oh, it's going to be really bad. And this, I believe they marketed it as a three hour, 70 minute film or something of that sort because they didn't want to say it's a four hour film. Oh, God. Yeah. And yet it just took off. Yeah. It was I, what I'm people wanted to see. How, yeah. Let, let's face James it, part, part of the pro, uh, process of making a film is working out what the audience is going to pay to see and uh, wh- whether yeah. that is Cameron or whether that is somebody else in, in the um, financing structure, they got it absolutely right. Well, they did. I mean, phenomenally right to the point where I bet if they wish they knew how they did it. But then Cameron did it again. Um, 
Yeah, but not immediately. <laughs> no, it took him a long time. Whether he just went, I don't know. But it, it, I, it's the first film that seems to have managed to defy that narrative that was imposed on it, um, like Last Action Hero, like Mary Riley, um, both of which tanked mm. largely as a result of that narrative. I'm still confused as to how Titanic, yeah, as you say, well, the, the, the very simple thing is that it was just a film people wanted to watch. So, there we go. And it's, I think I, I'm, I'm trying not to be patronising here, but I think it is relatively unchallenging. Well, that it, it, it hooks into it hooks into a lot then. of stereotypes. You know, the poor poor boy good, rich boy bad, doomed romance. You know, all these things are things people want to see. Yeah, I don't know. Though we've had more complex films, top the and for a for a. I don't know whether it makes people feel clever or what, but for a simple story, it's a flipping long one. Um, that is a long, we've, we haven't watched any films as long as that, including Apocalypse Now, I don't think. Uh, maybe the Apocalypse Now Redux might have made it up to that. Um, but it's fair to say, though, I consider Apocalypse Now a failed experiment. At least it was trying to say something about something. <laughs> yeah, the, the previous... Uh... Uh, it, it gets complicated, but I think the previous highest grossing film had been the original Jurassic Park in '93. So, uh, but that that was nowhere near a billion, was it? No, no. I, I, it, I think it got there eventually, but only after some years. Bloody hell! And yeah, right, DVD, well, DVD well releases done, and things. Oh, the the other thing, of course, for '97 is the Star Wars special editions get released. Ooh. <laughs> That's, and, that, and, and that, nobody gets to see the original Star Wars ever again, except for some her- heroic digital reconstruction work. Uh, oh, that's when we started to have some slight misgivings about what what the future of Star Wars <laughs> might hold in store for us. Um, oh well, I remember being very excited at the time, and then trying to remain excited after I'd watched them. Oh dear. Oh well. Oh, it was well. only going to get worse. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, well, it's, it's shortly after this, I seem to remember there started being rumours about the Phantom Menace, so. Yeah, it was quite soon after that, and I was quite excited about that. It was that that killed off my excitement about future things. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That and, uh, that and 9-11. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there we are. Well, 97 in film. It certainly feels for me like things are looking up a bit, because hmm. I've struggled through these late 90s. Um, but uh, I enjoyed LA Confidential uh, with uh, reservations, and that top ten is not abhorrent to me. Like the there's very ones. little there that interests me. I've got to say, but I did I did like the Fifth Element. So <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I'm not actively. I was interested. One thing I did mean to say about LA Confidential, it is it's not Tarantino esque, which most mm. other films mm. around about this time that were a lot of films that I was watching were trying to be, and this isn't even trying to be it. So I feel that's refreshing. Isn't yeah. And our next film, which we won't of course reveal because we may decide to change it. Yes. Is not one that we've mentioned at all. So mm. there, there is starting to be a bit of breadth. We're not just saying what won the Oscars, what, what came off the box office for our yes, selections anymore. Uh, we're finding some some nuggets between them. Yes, I feel like we've come out of a, of a dark time, um, but we'll see. We'll see if that lasts. Well, there we are. Um, it only remains for me to desperately try and think of an LA Confidential quote to finish the podcast with, but <laughs> but fail miserably. Rollo Tomasi. <laughs> Thank you.